You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, and book commentary five days a week at trashotroncom agony. Ian MacDonald is the author of novels that include Evolution Shore, Desolation Road, and River of Gods. His forthcoming novel from Victor Gollins and Pierre is Brazil. This interview was conducted during the 2005 Worldcon in Glasgow. Ian, tell us a little bit about your background and how it relates to your writing. Oh, now, um, I'm a sort, of, um, a sort of mongrel of the islands very much in that uh, my father was from Scotland and my mother was from Ireland, but I was born in Manchester in England, but I've lived all my life, uh, almost all my life in Northern Ireland, so... So I'm a kind of miscegenation of, of, of identities from, from all across the British Isles. I think that kind of informs quite a lot of the way I write and the way I think about things, in that I sort of um, always kind of, sort of tend to take kind of the outsider's point of view rather than the, rather than the insider's point of view. You know, I always feel like I'm sort of a person on the edge of things rather than in the centre, living in a place like Northern Ireland, which is pretty much on the edge of certainly the UK, the edge of Ireland, the edge of the edge of Europe and probably the edge of civilization as well at the moment. So I sort of feel my sort of sort of kind of nomad roots have pushed me in that certain right and direction. I think it's Ian Banks has a theory, which actually stands up to quite good scrutiny, that all writers have moved before the age of five. And every writer I know has in fact undergone some major family upheaval before they were five years old and sort of given up home and family and moved somewhere else. So I I certainly fit into that mode. Tell us a little bit about the international flavor of your science fiction and why you put that, bring that to your science fiction. I think it's pretty much because living as I do just outside Belfast, it's one of the possibly the least science (laughs) science fictional places on earth. I mean, you, it's easy to imagine the, UF, the, the the giant UFO with the giant robot, Klaatu, the giant robot, sort of landing on the White House lawn, but it's much, much harder to imagine it landing outside City Hall, Belfast. So I find I kind of have to look outside the place where I live. It's easy for people in the United States to base stuff in the United States because you know, it's a big country. It's kind of naturally kind of forward-looking. But for, but for, uh, you know, for me, from a small statelet, it's much harder to do that. So I kind of find I'm sort of looking towards other countries, you know, other kind of developing nations, which I tend to feel have been kind of ignored in science fiction as well. You know, that that the future isn't just coming to the first world; it's coming to it's coming to all the worlds, the developing world, the third world as well, and in many cases, places like India and China and Africa as well. A lot of countries are making the, are making a jump from the Iron Age to the Information Age in one generation, and in many many cases, like India, doing it extremely successfully. And the, certainly, India looks set to become, you know, one of the major information age players in the 21st century. I suspect even more so than China. Um, uh, India has a has, has a, India has a couple of big benefits, but one of which is uh, English speaking. They value, uh, the, they value knowledge and they, val- and they value education and also it has, a d- it has a democratic basis as well. It's the world's biggest democracy. And I think, I think India will be probably 
in many ways a more major player than China, which I feel will remain kind of a, a manufacturing country rather than a, a knowledge-based economy, which is, which is a terrible cliche, but it seems to be the one they use these days. But in my writing, certainly, I do find I'm kind of more drawn to those marginal places. Uh, I've certainly I've, I've set science fiction in, in Kenya, uh, in India, and the next book... I'm sort of looking, <laughs> looking for the looking for developing countries, and kind of Brazil struck my attention as this huge, very odd country that's been almost completely ignored in the West. Um, if you go into a bookshop, you can find six times as many books about Cuba than you can about Brazil, and Cuba is you know a fraction of the size of of Brazil, the world the world's fifth biggest nation. Basically, it was I think it was Charles de Gaulle and said Brazil is not a serious country <laughs> and I think I think history will prove Charles de Gaulle to be totally wrong about this that, that Brazil is a pretty serious country it's got a pretty good aerospace industry it's got its own space program it's doing it's it's the big regional superpower down in South America and it's one of uh, what what's known as the crib countries China Russia India and Brazil all the sort of developing countries that that will be major players in the in this unfolding century. Ian, tell us why science fiction matters to the future. Tell us about the future of science fiction. And tell us why Worldcon matters to science fiction. I think a while back, there was a kind of collective stutter in science fiction whenever we hit the 21st century and found that we didn't have the giant black slab sitting outside. We, we weren't on our way to the moons of Jupiter, and we didn't ride around in little plastic bubbles and wearing tinfoil space, spacesuits and popping pills. There was a kind of sense, particularly outside the genre, that's, that, that, that science fiction was, was no longer relevant because the future was already here. Thank you very much, and the future looked exactly like it did 10 years ago. <laughs> the, the, the future was just like the past. But I think science fiction, it's... It's an ever-evolving genre. In a sense, all science fiction is always about the present, and it's kind of picked itself up, sort of turned around, looked at what it's doing, and I think is, is kind of looking back to the future again in a, in a different way. Um, at, the, at the moment, space opera is the big, big thing, but I think that's changing as well. There's, there's a much more kind of look, looking to what sort of humanity and... and, and, and the future of this earth and the future of humanity is about uh, books like Charlie Strauss's Accelerando sequence, you know, about evolving post-humanity. There's a lot of kind of singularity stuff as well, which 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 isn't just the point where computers become super sentient. The singularity is much more complex than that. It's it's kind of the the stage where humanity no longer knows what's happening to itself. Um, in fact, I think in a way we've been through many singularities. I think there was one back in the Middle Ages. There's probably one about the Industrial Revolution as well, where we no longer knew what the shape what the shape of the future is going to be. And I think we've, as a society, we've kind of picked ourselves up. We sort of got over the kind of post twentieth century nostalgia and are now actually turning around and looking to what the twenty first century actually could be like. And science fiction is there, hopefully yet again at the front, actually. You know, trying to interpret what the next 80, 90 years and beyond will be like for us. For a Worldcon, what, why Worldcon matters, and particularly having a Worldcon outside the United States, is that it's a global literature with a global reach. 
um, I think it's Cory Doctorow uh, in Eastern Standard Tribe kind of promotes this thing of kind of the new tribe, the kind of the the non-geographical nation of people bonded together, you know, th- through the net you know, into kind of interest groups and and identity groups and kind of sort of basically nations onto themselves. And in a sense, that's actually, science fiction has been doing that for years anyway. I mean, it's always been this kind of international entity, you know, bringing people together who've all read the same books, you know, who all kind of, in, in a way, know each other as well. You know, bring, bring them all back, all together once a year into one physical location to, to meet, greet, and drink a lot. Um, and it's nice having a world con outside America as well, because because that really internationalizes the whole thing. Yeah, it's a lo- it's a lot of people in one place um, celebrating the genre. Ian, tell us a little bit about what you think the art forms of the twenty first century are, and I'd like to, you to talk about the relationship between written science fiction, the media science fiction, movies, televisions video games. Science fiction has become an, a genre that is spread out throughout the art forms. I'd like you to talk about that kind of interaction and feedback loop. Yeah. Well, basically, um, I mean, I've always had a bit, of a, a bit of a reputation for about the past five years of being a sampler and remixer in my science fiction. I mean, I, I will quite, quite unashamedly kind of lift a sample from some classic piece of SF or whatever and kind of mix it into my old thing. And I've... Um, and I do feel actually that the whole kind of sample and edit thing is moving outside music into people's computers, and everyone now can, you know, everyone can take their home photographs and Photoshop them into something they really want. P- people can podcast, you know, take their take their own music, take their own speech, you know, edit it down on their own computers and stick it out there as well. Um, home video used to it used to take a, a huge bank of Apple Macs to edit digitally. And you can do that on your own PC or even on your laptop now. You can do a pretty professional edit you know, with a complete sound dub on your own laptop. And the power of the edit is a mighty, mighty thing. I mean, I work in, um, I work in program development for a TV production company, and, 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 and we use editing every day. You know, the ability to pick and choose the relevant bits, the best bits, and, and jam them together into, into a narrative sequence that makes sense to you and drops the boring bits out. And I feel as this becomes more and more widespread, the edit is kind of the art of the 21st century. You know, the, the ability to edit your own reality. You know, what news is relevant to you, what gossip is relevant to you. I suspect, you know, in about five or six years, we will have, you know, artificial intelligence stuff on your computer that will edit, that will edit the happening world down to what's entirely relevant to you and only what you want to know. In fact, it's happening already with, you know, kind of things like um, Amazon. If you click on there, it's your recommendations, you know. There's a little edit button there. has gone through all its all its book lists, seen what you bought last time, and said, well, you might like that as well. It's an edited reality. To go on to um, media science fiction, I mean, um, I have actually worked in both written and media. I wrote a science fiction TV movie uh, for UK Channel 5. About went out about five, six years ago. Um, it was a development of the old 1970s Doomwatch series, which was on the BBC. 
and very proud of it I was too. It was a complete two-hour self-contained TV movie with a halfway decent budget. One of science fiction as a written form's challenges is to move away from the cli- in, in some ways the cliches that kind of media TV has taken on. Um, everyone judges science fiction by what happens in Star Trek or uh, SG-1 or even God Save Us Andromeda, which I've never been able to get through a single episode of because I just can't follow what's happening in it. Everyone is now familiar with these mythological tropes, really, you know, the spaceship, the crew, the dashing captain, you know, the transporter, the, the, the holodeck. All these things have kind of entered through media science fiction, the popular imagination, you know. It's, it's, it's in the back of everyone's brains. And I think for written science fiction, a lot of the challenge is to, to develop new myths, new tropes. The cyberpunk trope, kind of, which rose in the 80s, you know, that's one that's kind of out there and is kind of infecting society and it's, and it's working its way into the back of people's brains the way that the old 1950s stroke Star Trek universe did. And it's up to us as fiction writers, because fiction is always a lot more cutting edge than TV uh, TV is, is, is in many ways it, uh, an, essential, an essentially conservative genre. <clears throat> Once you've gone through the entire uh, sort of development, pitching, production, uh, commissioning editor process, what comes out is usually a fairly conservative product. And I think it's our job as as text writers or meta-text writers, you know, to say, well, where's where's the new set of mythologies coming from? Where's you know where are new gods and demons? Where are new kind of heroes and villains? And what are those ideas out there that will kind of inform the way, inform the way we look at the world and become part of every, every everyone's common everyday language? You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews and book commentary five days a week at trashotroncom slash agony.